Jackson Kogan says, what are some of the basics someone new to cars should learn that wants to get into it? That's a big question. That is a big question. I would say just drive as much stuff as you can. Yeah, the weirder the better, honestly. Like, I've driven a 61 Falcon, 62 Falcon, I've whatever the hell it was. I've driven a CJ2A Jeep from a 48. Yeah, but you know what? That guy has a death wish. We missed a week um, because life happens. Uh, we we have lives, maybe. Well, and we don't get paid to do this, so we're allowed to miss a week. So. <laughs> well, I mean, let's be real. Nobody wants to hear from us that often anyway. Vaguely. Uh, so thanks for coming back for the four people who are still here. Uh, we're going to talk a couple of topics today. Some of it's going to be some Q&A. Some of it's going to be um, some kind of topics around buttons. Uh, and what has happened to buttons and what is happening to buttons and why it's happening, right? Specifically, buttons in cars, not yeah. buttons on shirts or keyboards, but yeah. you know, those that goes without saying. Those aren't virtual yet. Um, anyway, so, you know... Though like, Nike is making shoes that lace themselves. Yeah, well, you know, Marty had those 40 years ago. Marty McFly. Uh, no, I'm kidding. That's not true. They were a prop. Technically nine years ago because it was 2015 yes the 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 actual air mags yes were nine years ago uh so the podcast you know we've thought about this and like with our podcast right we know it's enthusiast centric we know that you know people who enjoy driving enjoy a sense of connection but they also enjoy a sense of ease behind the wheel so what does that really mean like it means that when you're you know on a back road on a, a fun road of some kind, uh, the last thing you should need to do is dive into 16 menus to try and adjust the, the air temperature. And we'll have some analogies to this and some anecdotal experiences, um, but also talking about the why, who's really popularized this, and why everybody's decided to keep up with the Joneses. So, I mean, anyway. it's broader than that, too. Like, my dad doesn't want a car where you have to dive into touch screens to ju- like i don't understand really who this is for and what market need this is filling mm-hmm. other than saving car companies money and complexity which you know maybe you'll be able to speak to that a little bit right. but it's i just don't my biggest question with the disappearing buttons in cars and replacing everything with the ipad and the dash is why and who's asking for it because I still haven't talked to a single person other than the Tesla crazy mob who will actually tell you that having a touch screen for everything, including HVAC, is good. Right. And so we're going to talk a little bit now about the why. Um, I tend to agree with your sentiment. Obviously, I wouldn't be here as a, you know, I think I think some people are expecting a good cop, bad cop, but it's more like two, two grumpy cops. <laughs> Um, not really Just grumpy. like the NYPD in a subway station. Oh, well, the fat robot didn't work out for them so much, so they got to go back to doing real work. Well, the fat um, robot needed a babysitter, so. Sorry. Um, so, for those unfamiliar, there is a 400-pound robot that was doing a pilot program in the NYC subways. It has since been discontinued because people were playing with it, teasing it, and vandalizing it. So, anyway. Who could have predicted that? I don't know. 
who knew that putting a uh, whatever uh so back to the point in hand right so the big question is like why why is this happening right why is it becoming harder even you know enthusiasts or non-enthusiasts but you know why is it becoming harder to just simply in change basic settings in your car right and and speaking from the industry perspective you know i was a brand manager in the automotive industry i did get the technical side of this stuff i looked at the back end i had to make some of these decisions for program management um a lot of it is cost right um a lot of it is cost a lot of it is also perception that things need to look like the future right as especially with evs you know they're perceived as a futuristic technology uh, when the reality is they're really not that futuristic if you ask me it's basically the same as an ice car just without gas it's really not that you know i know it's an oversimplification but in terms of their functionality um and you know one of the things i experienced when i was at fca and i worked closely with the uconnect team who are great people um but the, the most of the feedback was that customers really wanted a ui meaning a user interface or a ux which is the user experience uh, a ui ux that was similar to their smartphone now you know the famous saying if i from henry ford if i had asked a customer what they wanted they would say a faster horse right right the reality is they may want that but in practice they complain about that right because we've seen in the popular media um, that there's been a real backlash against the disappearance of buttons, but we'll get into that later. But primarily from the automaker side, it's a huge cost save, right? The less holes I have to punch in things as modules, the less separate modules I have to buy to install in the dashboard, the cheaper it is. Um, how much am I really saving? I can't quite speak to that because A, there's, that's private information, and B, um, it's hard to tell because it varies automaker to automaker. Um, obviously, there's something to be said, you know, where you take someone like BMW and BMW has the same curved screen in almost all of their models now. Right. Mm -hmm. I think only the X3 and the Z4 are left and both are getting Z4 is probably going to be killed off in a few years and the X3 is getting replaced next year. Yeah. So those are the last two without this giant curved screen, which uh, I have experienced it in a 440. I thought it was a hellish experience. But, uh, but, you know, the origin of this is cost. The other origin is futuristic perception, right? Meaning futurism. They want to be perceived as looking like the, the, the next generation. Um, and also, you know, the, the, the company that really popularized this was Tesla. Yeah, I mean, I, I got to believe that cost is the primary driver here because Ralph Gilles, I recently watched a documentary about him, and he said, when you think about the future, when you think about car design, you look, where is the customer going to be in five to six years when this is coming out onto the market? And then that car has to exist in there in the market for at least a six-year life cycle. Yeah. So, or if you're the Durango 11 or, years. Yeah, if you're um, a <laughs> really 12. Yeah. Um, and then not to mention that the average car on American roads is 12 years old, so add on another 12 years to that. And I don't think these car makers are thinking about this right now when they're just slapping the iPad in the dash, because if you look at just how much smartphone technology has changed in the past 10 years, I mean, the iPhone came out 17 years ago. Like, 
if you look at an iPhone 1 or an iPhone 3G today, it's almost unrecognizable. But you have these car companies that are building something inextricably into the dashboard of their car that's going to be there forever. And I get that their ultimate loyalty is not to the third owner of that car, but I think you are really planning obsolescence for your vehicle that way, and it's really creating something disposable. Um, and I will also add on to that, smartphones have to do a lot of things, but they're designed to be used by a stationary user for communication and um, messaging and other functions. Smartphones are not designed to be used while you're hurtling down the road at 70 miles an hour in a two-ton, three-ton mm. missile. Yeah. So that is a problem when you have to tap through three menus to adjust your heated seats or change the fan speed or you know you don't have a hard key for something like climate or radio right i agree and you know one of the problems is that when you think about you know that it has to people are keeping their cars a long time i mean you can only design so far into the future right so you know you take a guess as to what's going to be upgradable for as long as it's going to be upgradable but it also depends on how long the automaker intends to support that platform but you know what doesn't need to be upgraded buttons fucking buttons yes I mean, fucking buttons we both we both drive cars that are over 10 years old your car is 13 mm -hmm. years old mine is eight my daily driver is 18 years old and you know hard buttons combined with amount for a phone for navigation is a pretty tried and true solution that's going to work for decades because guess what that smartphone's changing but if you can just slap a different smartphone into the slot on your screen that's all you really need to do because i mean i i just can't imagine any of these ipads and dashes are going to age well at all like even even a te like getting a Tesla Model S from 2013. It's I haven't awful. been in one in a while, but that's a, that's not a good experience by modern standards. No, and I, I think about it um, like watches are a good example, right? The Apple Watch exists. It's very capable. Um, it's very capable as long as there are software updates for the Apple Watch, right? Mm -hmm. And it'll continue to function in certain other capacities until it's totally you know unsupported. But the big question is why? is it unsupported right um i don't understand like a mechanical watch like i have or you have it never needs a software update it never needs a new battery at worst it needs service every On, few years every every 10 years yeah right uh and that's you know a small price to pay like it's like 400 bucks for a service generally four to six and it's um and I never, you know, it's not five, you know, a thousand or whatever it is for a new Apple Watch every yeah. every few years. So, you know, it's kind of disposable to me. It makes cars more disposable. It makes them more anachronistic when the, the irony is they're trying to be more futuristic. Right. Well, it's, it's ironic because everybody's talking sustainability and EVs is the key to sustainability. But we're basically designing these huge resource intensive cars to be disposed of in a few years or to be outdated and unfixable in a few years yet we're taking all these massive amounts of resources in it and again it's that message of like you're going to consume your way out of climate catastrophe if you just buy this seventy thousand dollar ev you know the planet will be saved and yet they're baking in all this technology that's just going to be 
totally useless and probably unsupported in 10 years and it's it's gross honestly yeah it is and also you know like i I hate to pick on bmw but like bmw and others right tesla too um the notion of subscription as a service right uh and and gatekeeping features behind subscription paywalls bmw has quietly backed away from that on certain things now yeah Um, heated seats notably Heated seats and a bunch of other stuff. They're still making you subscribe for things like uh, I think it was like dash cam record, like some weird stuff, um, and remote key and stuff like that. But it's I you know uh, all these car companies think that software is the future. It's the next great frontier that they need to conquer, right? Uh, as far as because the hardware is kind of at the limit of profitability, which I think is crazy. Uh, I actually have respect for Ford in this regard, where they've basically said, look, the software war has been lost. Apple and Android have won. Mm-hmm. Just give the people what they want. Let them plug in their phone and have phone mirroring on a screen. And voila. Like, car companies don't need to be... They think they need to be software companies. Most of the time, they're bad software companies. That's right. And it's economies of scale, right? Like, Apple and Google and all the other tech companies out there have the resources to hire the best engineers when it comes to software. Like, if you're a software engineer, like, you can make more money, frankly, working for Apple or Google, and probably it's more advantageous. So now General Motors and other car companies are competing for those jobs and that's also potentially competing with uh, with resources for like chassis engineering, powertrain engineering. So it's just interesting, as you mentioned, trying to increase profitability. I I totally get that, but but it is kind of a new frontier of, of car development, and it doesn't seem like they're winning the war so far. Yeah, and I mean, a few companies have decided to join the Android Automotive uh, front. Android Automotive, for those who are not familiar, it is the operating system of a lot of current uh, and future vehicles. So Uconnect 5 from FCA slash Stellantis. Uh, A lot of GM's infotainment systems are powered by Android Automotive, as is Volvo and Polestar. And BMW soon will be switching to Android Automotive. I think starting with the X1, they are doing Android Automotive and the M35i. Oh, okay. So, you know, it is a platform sure and i get that why you know some companies software people have explained to me that you know getting away from carplay is desirable uh, and android auto because the mirroring is a nightmare to apparently engineer into more and more complex infotainment systems but the reality is that like from a usability and user experience perspective as we mentioned right that you know that ship sailed like that ship sailed from a ui ux standpoint and some companies like Aston Martin and Porsche are embracing it and letting CarPlay and its kind of more uh, next evolution take over the cluster as well. And to be fair, like, you know, I give Apple a lot of credit. They may not always have the best cameras or hardware that beats Android phones, but they spend almost all of their budget on UX and security. That's always right. been Apple's strong suit is, uh, UI, is UI UX. UX. And right. Honestly, let's let's zoom out for a second, okay? Yeah. You're driving. I mean, you're and, and I'll speak for me personally, but when I'm driving, there are maybe three or four things that I really want to do. Like, 
I want to be able to make a phone call easily. I want to be able to, you know, turn up the climate, turn down the climate, change music. Um, so in terms of things that the phone does, I want to, it's nice when it can read a text message out loud. I like mm-hmm. that function of CarPlay. I'm not necessarily going to respond to it, but I like to, if I got something, be able to hear what it said. And yeah, music, phone, messaging, um, and, and directions. And directions is the biggest one. You yeah. know, Google yeah. Maps or Waze, right. pick your poison, but some some sort of informed traffic aware GPS. That's all I really need in terms of functionality when I'm in the car. And so all these car companies are citing customer demand and saying they need to be futuristic, but I just have not met the customer who needs their phone or their infotainment system to do more than those four things while they're driving. Right. Yeah. And it feels like they're just inventing problems to solve at this point. Yeah, basically. It's it's answering a question that nobody asked for. You know, I recently, uh, and I won't name names because this person is a very good friend of mine, but uh, I was recently in M, an M440i, also known as a 440i. Um, and the uh, artist previously known as three four, series coupe. Yeah. So convertible. And, and it had iDrive eight. Now apparently eight and a half and iDrive nine are apparently better than this. But in iDrive eight, you know what you used to do on a typical BMW, even in iDrive seven and prior, you had hard buttons for climate. So by having hard buttons for climate, all you had to do to adjust the fan was simply push the fan button down one on the dashboard and the fan would go down. Uh, I tend to adjust the fan somewhat frequently in the car. Yeah, so I mean, temperatures change. You, the sun comes out, or just the heater kicks on. Like you get, in the, things change, right. and you need to adjust the temperature. So now in the 440 with iDrive eight, eight and a half, to be able to adjust the fan, it requires me to touch a climate menu button on the screen, which makes the fan controls raise up on the screen, block everything I'm doing on the screen, like navigation or whatever. Right. Then I have to tap the screen, then I have to tap the climate menu button again for that to go away so that I can go to what I was originally viewing. Mm -hmm. All of this is happening at 75 miles an hour on the highway. Yeah, it's a complete and total distraction. Yes, it's completely nuts and insane. And And unnecessary. And the software suite isn't very good either. For example, Let's say you set up CarPlay on this car. This is a specific to the M440. I can't speak to other vehicles. Um, and, uh, you know, you have CarPlay set up. You hit, you hit start on Google Maps for start directions. Mm-hmm. You back out of your spot. The camera comes on. The screen turns to the backup camera. You put it back in drive. It goes back to the main menu on iDrive. Mm-hmm. What the hell is that? Go back to navigation like I was using. Yeah. What is that? Anyway. I, ha- I had a really similar experience bad recently. software. I had a similar experience with the Polestar 2, which does run on the Android Automotive Mm -hmm. OS. Um, No hard buttons on the cluster. I mean, there's like a capacitative touch button for hazards and another one for the defroster front and rear. But to adjust the actual fan speed, it's like two to three touches on the giant iPad thing. Mm. And the fact to me that Volvo... Okay, sure, Polestar, Volvo, whatever... But, like, same Volvo company. does the same thing. The fact to me that Volvo, a company that's so proud of its safety heritage that they put since 1959 on their seatbelt buckle, is thinks it's okay to have to push three things to adjust the fan speed or, like, six different menu options to change something on the radio. 
is absurd to me. It's egregious. And, you know, people will disagree with me about, like, Tesla's UI UX, but I really dislike Tesla uh, in terms of the UI UX because, like, even the wipers I have to go into the screen for. What the hell? Yeah. What the hell is that? Like... Anyway, I think at this point it should be mentioned that this is not a universal thing. There no. are a few companies, notably, that are pushing back. I think most notably, Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis. Um, actually, Hyundai's head of design, Sangyup Lee, who I had the chance to meet earlier this year, oh, neat. Um, he has come out and said, "Look, buttons as far as a core safety function." we're doubling down on them. You know, we're not taking away HVAC buttons. We want you to be able to go to the next track, change the radio station, change the volume. And it's really good to hear that from somebody who's head of design. And frankly, you know, Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis, they're kind of leading the pack in terms Mm -hmm. of design right now. So they're saying this, and I think others may backtrack. Volkswagen with the Mark eight and a half GTI just put Mm -hmm. buttons back on the wheel and, uh, on the um, Porsche on the with console. Porsche put back physical climate controls. Yeah. Away from the capacitive touch ones. So there is sort of a shift back in, in some automakers at least. I, I will say that um, when I think about, you know, Hyundai Kia Genesis, I had a chance to play around with the Genesis G ninety last year for a bit. Mm-hmm. Middle of the la- middle of the year I went to the Genesis studio in Hudson Yards. And you know, they have really struck a good balance between touchscreen and physical control. Yeah. And in fact, they have a touchscreen that looks like physical controls, a tiny one in the climate control, but it does exactly what it says. It doesn't yeah. make you hunt. And and we'll get into this later, but I think that's actually the most luxurious thing of all. You know, and, and I'll explain why in a, in a few minutes. I had but, the same experience with the Ionic 6 earlier ooh. this year. Oh, look at you. I don't get all these new cars because I am not in the circle. But anyway, no, I'm kidding. Circle jerk. More yeah, like. more like it. Um, but, you know, it's not just like us saying this, right? I recently read an article on Slate um, from last year that, you know, David Zipper, who's been making the rounds on a bunch of uh, car podcasts, both normal car enthusiast and an- I would call them anti-car. Basically, one is called War on Cars. So I, w- pretty- I would say, yeah, pro, pro-urbanism, pro, yeah. you know, pro-pedestrian, pro-cyclist, Very pro-transit. Yeah, you know, you know, I I travel in those circles, both circles. Um, yeah. At any rate, um, and you know, there's a real backlash that that Zipper has said in his recent article, even according to the triple uh, to AAA, right, to so the Automobile Association of America, something like that, or American Automobiles, uh, whatever it is. Um, you know, the touch a touchscreen according to AAA and this is what I just read last year, it can distract a driver for up to 40 seconds at 50 miles an hour, which is enough to cover a half a mile in that time, which if you think about that, right, 40 seconds is a long time at speed. And I don't know if you heard the same, but when I learned to drive, the thing that was beaten into my head is that five to 10 seconds of distraction is enough to cause an accident. Correct. Which One I will second also say- is enough. You know, there there are no accidents. There are car crashes, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, 
it's always someone's fault, whether it's the fault of a distracted driver, bad road design, a combination, etc. Like if light, if lightning strikes your car, that's an accident. If if lightning if <laughs> lightning strikes your car, yeah, that's uh, I'll, I'll grant you that. That's like um, the only thing I can think of. Almost everything is considered a collision. But yes, right? I would say there there are very very few true accidents. There are a lot of collisions right. and usually something, usually bad road design. Usually. Is it fault? And bad driver training. And bad driver training, certainly. Right. But, yeah, you think about that, five to ten seconds is enough for a crash that could be fatal. And, and you're talking about distracting someone for up to 40 seconds. Right. Four to eight times that. Right. And what's even more disturbing is that, you know, NHTSA issued guidance on this, right, ten years ago, in 2013, mm-hmm. 11 years ago now, in 2013. And, you know... NHTSA issuing guidance is the same as me saying I'm the president of the United States. Like, <laughs> doesn't carry much weight to me anyway. Um, but it says that no touch, you know, NHTSA basically stated that no touch screen should operation, meaning no work, you know, no, no feature that you have to access in the touch screen should take more than 12 seconds. And, you know, that's great. 12 seconds is way too long. Yeah. Right. But they also provided no enforcement mechanism for this. I mean, 12 right? seconds. Let's just count it out real quick. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I'm still not looking at the road. 10, 11, 12. And that, is way too, that is way too long and I, for anything to take. And I've crashed. No. Um, Versus, so, oh, uh, I think I'm going to turn up the radio as yeah. I make a turning motion with my hand that you can't see yeah. and I'm done. Yeah, it's really obscene. So, you know, 12, 12 seconds is crazy to me. And then to not enforce that is even worse, right? Um, and then, you know, so like there's the legal side of this, right? There's the government side of this, right? Where, where like there is a real problem with government not taking a side on this one way or the other. And, you know, free market be damned. This is a question of me staying alive staying alive on the on the road right and and it's a question of a pedestrian staying alive in a crosswalk or a cyclist staying alive as well right a couple of other articles i read from last year one was dan neal who's the pulitzer prize winning journalist for the wall street journal uh the only automotive journalist to win a pulitzer today yeah pretty pretty Uh, accomplished guy um and, you know, his article was around the new Mercedes, I believe it was the EQS he was driving at the time, which is Mercedes's electric S-Class sedan. Horrible reviews on the infotainment of that yes. car all around. He, he described it as learning how to play a triple-decker Wurlitzer organ, which for those who can't picture that, it's a really big organ with three levels of keys. So it's very complicated and very hard to use quickly. So I've heard yeah. really big organs are hard to use, but I don't have any experience. Never speak again. <laughs> um, so, uh, but but the other one that's interesting is you know Farah recently brought up Matt Farah brought up a whole thing of buttons as a luxury, right? And he was quoted in the in the David Zipper article on this. But I also agree with it. You know, last year um, I had a chance to go to a, an automotive event called Midwest Automotive Media Association or MAMA for short. MAMA. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ooh. Okay. All right. Uh, at the at, at Road America. And they have a couple of different things every year. They have a thing in the fall and a thing in the spring and then another thing sometime else at the Chicago Auto Show, I think. Um, and, uh, and we had a chance to go to, to go to Road America and I had met with 
uh, you know, shout out to Jeff Schatz and, and Tori, I can't remember your last name, from Rolls-Royce. Nice people, great people to talk to. Um, Jeff Schatz from BMW. From BMW. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and I was there with uh, my, my esteemed colleague, Nick Kappa. Nick, hope you're listening. Um, and we had a chance, you know, the BMW had several vehicles there. They had the M2, they had the new XM, they had the new 760 Gas, they had the new Ghost. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, the Ghost and the 760 are the same car underneath, basically. Yeah. Same platform. And I had Ghost a chance... Ghost is better looking. Oh, my country model. <laughs> but the big thing was I had a chance to drive both and get in the, to get in the driver's mm. seat of both. Uh, at the end of the day, after the journalists were done playing around with the cars. And... Did you do a hot lap in the Ghost? I did not do a hot lap in the Ghost. I did not <laughs> Ghost ride the whip. Um, and I... You know, I was really surprised because the 7, you know, it had the big curved touchscreen that all the new BMWs have. Right. The frustrating iDrive 8. And it had like a cashmere interior and all this stuff, right? And this car was expensive. It was $164,000 price tag. Ooh. Okay. Then I got into the Ghost. And the Ghost, for reference, has a base price of 442 700 The black that badge. Much? The black badge. This was wow. the performance one. Okay. So this was the I ghost. ghosts were more like two fifty. I didn't realize they that. are. They're on the lower end. They're like two seventy five. Okay. Um, but this was the black badge, which had like the upgraded V twelve and more torque and a bunch yeah. of other stuff. Okay. The sport and a, a twenty year younger consumer. Yes. Um, according to Rolls Royce, the sporty ghost, right? A sporty Rolls Royce and you the know, nouveau riche Rolls Royce. This, this was like starts it. Like I think this thing like rolled out the door for like four fifty. All right, which is bananas for a car, but when a car starts at four forty, I'm like wondering what it doesn't come with as standard, and then somehow you can tack more onto welfare. Um, is what it doesn't come with standard. So compassion for yeah, the middle class. Um, so um, the proletariat—that's what's not standard. <laughs> no. Um, so, but the big difference was besides the leather and everything else, right? And and. I want to point out that this Rolls was 3x the cost of the 7 Series. 3x For the, the cost. same basic platform. Same basic platform, okay. But a V12, not a V8, etc. Um, the most luxurious thing of all was the fact that nothing was difficult to use. Every knob, everything was a knob. Everything was clearly labeled. Everything did exactly what you asked it to do when you asked it to do it. There was no waiting. There was no bullshit, right? It was an incredible experience. That, to me... The fact that there is zero learning curve is the most luxurious thing of all. So they clearly recognize, at least at the high end, that convenience is the ultimate luxury. And if we see it, thing, car, car companies like Pagani, part of it is they can't afford new touchscreen interfaces, but also their customers ask for that. Aston Martin, right? Here's another example. Aston Martin, not to be unaffordable for a second, but you know, this is a prime example. They went to use the S-Class system from the last-gen S-Class, and mm-hmm. it was disastrous, and it was all touch-capacitive crap. Right. And um, less so on the Vantage, but more so on the DB11. And now they went to a whole new bespoke audio system, you know, infotainment system that's thrown, and it's almost all buttons mm. and four big uh, scroll wheels, like one yeah. for volume, one for temperature, one for... Whatever. No, I have seen that. I really like the new Aston interface. I mean, it should tell you, like what people want as a brief aside i the last summer i did visit the pagani factory and it is totally wild how it's basically like a fusion of a little italian craftsman and they explain like the 
ethos behind this is like let's fuse an Italian craftsman village with a state of the art like NASA lab. Mm-hmm. So you walk in and it's this big white room and people are assembling the cars by hand, but then you have like a church bell in the corner that rings every hour and like little street lamps. So it's a time for a smoke break. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. So you know I it's, every twelfth screw you uh, smoke a cigarette. Well it's interesting to me also, right? So cars like the G T three have not really suffered from this. You know, uh, I would argue, like, the highest end of highest end has said, no, no, buttons. You know, Bugatti Veyron, Chiron, example, right? Bugatti Chiron has buttons and knobs, Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't even have a goddamn screen. Yeah. Like, so part of that's the age of the car, but, like, also, they could have put a screen in them. Well, and if you're building a car that's going to be a, you know, is going to be a collectible one day... I'd argue the screen is a detractor because that is something that, like an early SMG or single-clutch gearbox, places that car in an era, and companies are already conscious that that era is going to be left behind at some point. And I, you know, when I was at Alfa Romeo, right, we were discussing 33 Stradale when it was in development, mm-hmm. which is the supercar that Alfa Romeo produced. It's uh, fantastic seen- looking. Beautiful car, too expensive, too few made, not powerful enough. Do you know what the take rate is on the gas versus electric? Because that was the most interesting thing that you could get at either way. At at the time, it was supposed to be 50-50 split. It wasn't about a take rate. It's what we were making. Right, okay. Um, I don't know anyone. They were all like pre-reserved, right? I don't know anyone who's ordered the electric. So that, you know, I don't know why you would want that car in electric. It's like a thousand pounds heavier. It's a thousand pounds heavier. It's got a hundred more horsepower, but like... It weighs like four thousand pounds, which is weird because the standard car is like thirty three. Yeah. So like I don't understand that. Um, Great looking car though. It's a beautiful car. So at any rate, you know, one of the things that Imperato, who was the CEO, was insistent on was no screens. Mm. Or and ultimately we did put like a UConnect screen in that retracted into the dash away. Um, stow and go under the dash. No, quite literally, stow and go. Um, but that you know, was imperative. When we saw the sketches of, of, of the interior, right, those first sketches from uh, Romanos, Mesonero Romanos, um, there were no screens in the interior. Zero. Right? The gauges are digital, but they look analog. Yeah. Right? So, so you know, what am I saying here? Like, $2 million cars are not the paradigm, right? But, but the notion of not having to inconvenience people is the ultimate luxury. Why can't everybody get a piece? Like, like I hate to sound like a curmudgeon, but everybody's like... No, it's okay. We can be curmudgeons, curmudgeons. on this episode. Yeah, it's just, you know, we're going, we're going backwards as yeah. an industry. You know, as a society, as an industry, in we're, that sense. We're going at... With, at this, with this particular topic. At the moment that... And it just reminds me that, you know, car companies are set... Car companies are companies. They're not charities. They need to make profit. But, like, how did... How did companies like Volvo made profit in the 80s and 90s by selling durable goods? Well, Volvo had the best had the best IP of anyone. You wanted to change, you know, the airflow on the on the dash. You chose the part of the human body, like it had a thing in the shape of a person. Mine has that, right? Exactly. So you know, and they've gotten away from that. Well, there there are so many companies today. I think there's a real demand for durable goods, like. Mm -hmm. 
you know, bluntstone boot things that are just made to last. Bluntstone boots, mm-hmm. you know, Patagonia right. stuff that is designed to last you a lifetime mm-hmm. or at least a good deal of time, High so that you watches. feel that you got your worth out of it. Mm-hmm. Those products are successful. Who is going to be, you know, the '80s, '90s Volvo? Who's going to be the company that makes a durable goods EV? Because that is. You know, that's a car that I'm interested in. It's something that's made to last. It just feels like there's a lot of cars today, sadly, Volvo included, that feel like they're just made to be leased and then thrown out. Tesla, yeah. I mean, there, there's tons of them. I and just, that is not sustainable. You know, we, we discussed this earlier and it's the, uh, uh, before we started, which was, you know, what do these touchscreens look like in 10 years? Yeah. 20 years. Covered in fingerprints. Oily. Disgusting. You know, like, like today, there are people still rolling around in, like, late 90s, early 2000s Civics, right? Like, you still see them. Camrys. Camrys, all this stuff. Just got passed by a guy yesterday in a 93 Camry. 92 Camry. We saw a Nissan hard body the other night. With the license plate Bodega. Yeah. Bodega Saucy. I'm sorry? Bodega sauce. I like bodega sauce on a burrito. Anyway. Oh, I thought that was like a... Never mind. I thought it was like a, an artist. Anyway. Um, Could be. Probably. I feel is. bad now. Um, uh, so, at any rate, you know, it's just like... Uh, we know people drive cars a long time. And, and like... And a lot of times because they have to. Yeah. And so I just see... I see the pendulum of average age of cars swinging back the other way. But it's becoming too disposable. But it's also like... And are they going to gatekeep us with software features when I mean people when they can't, can't support it? Most people can't, ourselves included, afford afford to replace a car every three years or every you know five five years, and so people hold on to stuff longer. And if if we're getting like software locked out of our cars, like we do with our phones, I mean the main difference between a phone and a car is one costs maybe a thousand dollars and the other costs maybe 40 or 50 or $60,000. Right. That's a big, big difference. Right, exactly. So so the question now becomes, like, we, you know, we, my fear is that, like, we started to see an early version of this when, um, you know, with, with the 3G sunset, right? So when you think about, like, all the cars that had, like, SOS systems in them, early SOS systems that like used... Like early OnStar? Yeah, like, OnStar BMW had the, some of the, like, the button in my 3 Series. Yeah. Um, the emergency button. And they were, like, 2G and 3G connections, right? Right. Some cases, they could be upgraded with a chip. In a lot of cases, like Volkswagens, right, they were, like, tough luck. You're, you're screwed. Good luck. So what happened with your BMW? Well, it was 2G. It was really old. Okay. So, right. so nobody, it was like, there was no hope for that. Yeah. Um, and, you that's know. That's one function, one button. That's not the entire system. No, but I'm just saying, like, what does that, you know, I mean, are we going to see something that looks like that in the future? Is that, you know, what's next? Yeah. You know what I, I mean? I don't know. Like, so, you know, when I think about some of these software as a service features, right, these, uh, like, I call them SaaS features, right, um, but like any of these subscription-based software-blocked features, like Audi has some of them and BMW has some of them, you know, do you lose access to those for life at a certain point? Like if it's something important, like, I don't know, dash cam mode or something? What do you get when you put a bunch of MBAs in a room and ask them to design a car? Unemployment. <laughs> um, so ask me how I know. Um, but, uh, so, so I guess... 
you know, there's a couple of issues before we like switch to the second part of the show, which is like a couple of questions, excuse me, uh, which is, you know, how do we as enthusiasts kind of ensure um, that sort of a common sense prevails? It's, it's for sure a safety issue, and it is definitely a driver enjoyment issue. I think of the new M2, the G87, and it has this stupid interface in it. And it's a lot of power and yeah. a lot of car, and it's a manual, which is weird with that screen. It is weird. Anyway, but you were saying. No, I, w- I wasn't really saying anything. Oh, sorry. Um, but, but yeah, I'm curious what's going to prevail here. I mean, we see car companies backtracking um, Volkswagen with the GTI and the ID4, Porsche with the Macan EV. Um, I mean, we've mentioned some others, but it does still feel like this is a prevailing trend in the industry that's happening. And I'm not convinced that it'll last. I think uh, it didn't last at Ford with my Ford Touch. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I mean, car companies have tried to do software. They've been trying to do it for hell over a decade now um and frankly i don't think they're much farther along they've put a lot of resources into it in some cases they've come up with or licensed different os's and i think people have people have spoken because i still not have i have still not met the person who wants their car to be just like their computer and most people say i want my car to be like my smartphone but what they actually mean is I want to plug my smartphone into my car or have wireless CarPlay work, which wireless CarPlay is a whole other set of problems that we can get into. I mean, wireless charging is inherently inefficient. It generates a lot of heat. Wireless CarPlay does the thing where it pairs and unpairs and often just leaves a weird feedback loop. And and that's a whole other thing. But what people actually want as far as I understand it and what I want is just to be able to access basic functions of my phone like calling, music, and directions as easily as possible. And I don't need my car to be my virtual assistant. I don't need my car to, you know, have video games in the screen or play a movie or do all this gimmicky shit. I just want it to be able to do basic things when I'm driving. And maybe, I mean, the conversation does change when we talk about like level four autonomy and things like that, because then then I can imagine you're gonna be wanting to do work while you're in the car and you're gonna wanna have different interfaces and all of that. But to me, it's kind of putting the cart before the horse because we're still a long way off from there. Correct. So, you know, that's, uh, that's, it's sort of a, a to be as you know developing story right but it's also a story and why did we abro- you know broach this topic today it's a story that we really didn't hear anybody yelling about per se yeah i mean we've like i feel like we hear people complain about it who are in the industry both automotive journalists and also people who work in mm-hmm. for car companies um, because nobody really likes it I mean, the big question, like, nobody really likes it, and everybody's wondering who this is for, and I think we talked about why it's happening, which is cost-cutting, and car companies are saying that people want this, but then they're rolling it back because people clearly 
don't want it and they're they're well, getting to quote the meme, for it. To quote the meme, car companies only want one thing and it's fucking disgusting. <laughs> anyway, um touch so, screens. Touch screens. Anyway. No. So can now Can you think of I wanna what? Can you think of touch screen experiences that are good? Um, I would argue that like the Chevy MyLink stuff back in the day, mm-hmm. like when especially when it had CarPlay plugged in, but it just really is really easy system. Some of, some, you know, Q was a misstep, but yeah. like, but MyLink, uh, the Chevy MyLink, Buick MyLink stuff, whatever it was called, uh, you know, uh, geriatric link, um, <laughs> was was really easy to use. Help! Stuff. I've fallen down and I can't get up. Yeah, I mean, I would say the worst was like Honda with the giant like weird rotary like knob thing and then and then acura with the kanji pad but like i would say toyota and lexus before lexus went to the trackpad the like cursor thing Mm -hmm. that was awful but before (laughs) toyota and lexus in like oh five oh seven to like 2012 ish before they went to the cursor thing were pretty good um Actually, I you know not to toot my own horn, but Tonale's interface on UConnect Five is easy. I haven't it's played a, with it yet. It's actually it's actually easy because there's also hard buttons right below it to, to shortcut to stuff. And what this is not a touch screen, but once BMW dialed in iDrive with yeah. the wheel, that was pretty good. iDrive Six is really easy. It's great. Yeah, that's um, that's simple. It's touch and and hard. And shortcut it has buttons. multiple yeah multiple button shortcuts that get you where you're going. It has hard keys. That's not bad. Um, Audi MMI I thought was like maybe a rung or two below that it was okay everybody went bananas for that I found it confusing with the quadrant system yeah you had to like choose a corner I mean when you live with a I lived with my A4 for six years Mm -hmm. and you get used to it you kind of know where things are but I prefer having like the marked hard keys yeah those things on the screen change that was just easier and then uh, I don't know that's really about it I mean like I think I think uh, you know Porsche with the piece, you know, with the new PCCM classic radios. Yeah, um, those are pretty good in the applications yeah. I've seen them in. Yeah, so. they're simple, simple enough with shortcut buttons. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the key here: is like simplicity, ease of use. These are all good things, especially on enthusiast cars, because the goal is driving. The goal is not to be frustrated by the car. Right. The more you get frustrated with the car, the more you want to sell the car. And that's a, I mean, I've been dealing with this like annoying radio cable issue in my 911. And it's like, that is a thing where it's like, I, when I'm driving that car, which I don't get to drive, I don't commute in that car and I don't drive it all that often. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I do some miles in it, but when I'm driving it, I'm driving it because I want to be in it because I want to have fun and have an experience. Well, we will fix that in the spring. So yeah, Yeah. I mean, I'm going to fix that, but like, yeah. That's a, a maddening infotainment system can take a fun drive and just introduce a whole lot of annoyance into it. Yeah. yeah so, I even, look, I even think about the radio in the 944 you had with that thing that was like possessed. And sometimes it would like pick my phone up, then it would pick your phone up, then it would go back to my phone. Yeah. Like, yeah. And generally, I'm happy to like dry it like i i'd like to have music sometimes but like i'm i'm pretty easy but it's still like just having something you don't have to think about is so much more of mm-hmm. a luxury than having to put all this extra effort in it's called buttons yeah anyway 
Now, uh, so that's the topic of buttons. The second part of the show, we actually, for the first time, asked about a Q&A. We solicited listener questions. Listener questions. And thank you for sending us in your questions. We will, uh, we will answer them now. Someone actually asked me, I don't know if it was Aaron or someone else, actually asked me if I would ever sell the E90. Yeah, Aaron Siegel asked, uh, would Ross ever sell the E90? Do we want to tackle that one first? It has to be to the right person. A couple of people have asked to be first rate of refusal. Mason. No low ballers. I know what I have. Wait, uh, Mason? Mason Brown. No, Mason Goodman uh, asked for uh, first rate of refusal on the car, but the reality is it drives so well, and I don't have an extra car payment right now, yeah. so it's kind of nice to keep. Um, it does not feel like it has 154,000 miles. No, it does not. It feels rock solid. And, uh, you know, some cars you throw parts at, and they feel old still, like Hondas, I feel like, don't feel new, even with new parts on them. Depends yeah. on the car, I guess. Generally to me. Like, some American stuff doesn't feel new. Even well, American like, stuff, some of it doesn't feel new even when, when it it's is new. new yeah but like this car you just throw some new parts at like i'm amazed it just feels like it takes years off the car yeah it's remarkable so um yeah so, so if, you, if you were to sell the e90 what would you hypothetically replace it with integra yeah integras i mean you know some of them are starting to come on the used market barely but like a stick Integra, a used stick Integra is a pretty good car. It's 40 miles a gallon. It's got a limited slip diff. It's zero to 60 in six and a half seconds. You know. That's the real spiritual successor to that car. Because there's of. nothing that's real. I mean, it's front Gen wheel Genesis drive, G70 but. slash Julia really is. But, like, I don't want an automatic in this. So. Yeah. I mean, I could. If I had to live with it, I, I would also... If I wanted something more luxurious, I might consider one of those. The liftback on the uh, Integra is nice. Yeah, the liftback is nice, and Cosmo, my dog, really doesn't like SUVs. So, and, like, I just think about... He's got good taste. Thank He's a you. car enthusiast. I think, I think about also just conspicuous consumption, and, like, I don't need a crossover. Like, I don't need the space of one, and, and it takes up space. With the exception of like something like the X3, which is kind of short and easy enough to park, but but you know for the most part, like I don't drive or need them because I I don't buy more than I need. Well, you also want something like for a daily driver that's still a bit fun and yeah. that you can enjoy. I don't need to be miserable like cavorting around and like if that was the case, I'd just get an Altima. I mean, <laughs> like, it's nice if you know when you have a daily driver, you find yourself on a nice road and you want to be able to enjoy that nice road and not lament the fact that you're in your daily driver and that's why oh, Murano Cross Cabriolet is out that, that's, no. that's why things like GTIs are popular because as Aaron said on our last episode if you can only have one car you know that car has to be good at a wide variety of tasks and that's what you know his V70R is that's mm -hmm. what a GTI is and that's what the Integra is and the Integra, I would argue, is a little bit better rounded than like a Civic Si or Civic Type R. Right, so, right. Good choice. So, uh, what were the other questions? You happen to know? If you yeah, have, I've, if I've you got the other. Looking? I've got the other questions right we a, here. We had a question, a couple of questions from the audience, and I'm not answering Toby's question about microwaves. What did he ask? Something about like microwaving our balls? No, I was like, how much food can I microwave or something? <laughs> as uh, much as your heart desires. Ah, John from uh, Rhode Island Car Photos says, uh, next goal car to buy. Um, yes, thank you, John Porter. Um, I'd say my my next goal car to buy is a V8 Vantage with a manual of some kind. 
You've wanted one of those for a while. I've wanted one for a while. I mean, it's not that I'm not partial to the DB7 that we have in the family. Um, I just, you know, it's a different kind of car to me. Uh, the V8 Vantage is like a Z4M. It's like a big boy car that you really got to wring the shit out of to get it to do something. Um, and I like that. I enjoy that. I think the 911 for me is a little too easy of an answer. Yeah. Everybody has a 911, nothing personal. Um, and yours is a great example because I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Because you can beat the shit out that's, of that car. That's it's great to drive. That's what's nice about it. It's very freeing. Car. You know what I mean? Um, but your car is not the majority of 911s. The majority of 911s, the, to me, the, the price to buy into them now is just too high. I like the V8 Vantage also because it's part muscle car, part sports car, part GT car. It's, it's loud. It's gorgeous. It's great looking. It's got... The materials are fantastic. They're beautiful leather. It's um, so exotic. It's exotic. I mean, there are two kind of big ticket items, brakes and the clutch, because it's a transaxle. We um, saw a really beautiful, like, blue over uh, saddle, saddle example with higher miles. I mean, you see these like cars 88,000 miles. With 50, 60, 70,000 miles, and if maintained, they can do it. Mm -hmm. And this one changed hands for, like, 30, sub 40 30. grand yeah yeah they're out there yeah and it was taken care of so i mean they're you know it's not a cheap car to maintain but it is an aston martin ultimately right so it's it's a fun car and it's far prettier than the current vantage much Even, although yeah. the, you know i think that the what the, do you think of the new one like well the, new, new the one. facelift that just came out i think it's a huge improvement it doesn't yeah. look like it has this bottom feeder mouth anymore with squinty little headlights and a giant grill. It looks a lot more like the DB11. It looks like an Aston Martin should look. Um, I think it's a little bit at odds for me with the rear, because the rear is still too a little peculiar. Mm -hmm. You know, It's good, it's just not uh, elegant enough. Aston Martins are as much as about aggression as they are about elegance. Yeah. Right. And the thing about an Aston is that you can take it at any point in history, take an Aston Martin pretty much out of any point in time, pluck it to another point in time, and it will be just as elegant and exciting as it was when it was new. Right? And that's true of the DB5, and it's true of the DB6, and the DB4, and the DB9, and the D even the DB7 to some degree, depending on which version. But, you know, uh, the DBS to me is a car from 15 years ago, right? 16 years ago now, and it is gorgeous. And there's a reason why they're suddenly starting to trade hands for big money now. Yeah. Like 150 plus. I would argue the V8 Vantage looks better, as good if not better than the day it came out. I mean, I that agree. design has aged so well. Yeah. To our earlier point, buttons and... Buttons. I think, did some of them have the little screen, the nav screen that would pop up? All, but of, it was, all of them had the screen that would pop up. It just, some but of it's them, stowable. Some, it is stowable and it was not related to the functionality of the radio. It was purely for the navigation screen. Yeah, okay. So that, so, I mean, that was the era that every car was doing their own proprietary GPS, unless you had a Ferrari California, in which case you had Uconnect. Well, here's the brilliant thing, right? There's a company in England called, and, and even here Miller Motor Cars will do it, but the company in England called Aston Innovations, and they will uh, fit CarPlay and Android Auto to any of the systems because they've changed. They went from a Volvo system in the earlier cars to a Garmin-based system in the later cars. Wait, it was so, a Volvo system? Yes. You mean to tell you that was a premier auto group uh, solution? Yes. Nice. Yeah. I love that. Thank you, Jacques Nasser. Anyway. Uh, and, that, you know, so, yeah. So that was that's really my goal car for the moment. 
Yeah. Anyway. I think for me it would be some kind of Lotus. Auburn Boatel Speedster? No. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I think I think it would be some kind of Lotus. Probably some sort of Avora or Amira. Probably an Avora. Either a four hundred or a GT. Because if you think about like if I think about what cars I'm really into, I'm really into handling. And I also like having something a little different than most people have. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's my whole thing with like the mini is it's a that's little why different. I like the Aston. Yeah. Anyway. And the, you know, even my 911, it's like a little funky because it's, I put, I put the plaid seats in it, which like, yeah, okay. There's a lot of people with 911s with plaid seats, but my car is, it's just a little worn in. It's a little funky and it's, it's fun. But the Lotus, the Avora, I like, um, one, they're robust in terms of the powertrain. Mm-hmm. It's tried and true. Um, I like that you can still get a supercharged engine in them. Yeah. Um, because because that's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of that. And uh, it's just very, it's mechanical. The focus is on handling. Um, it's not going to break catastrophically. Maybe. I would hope, maybe. Um, and I like the British... The British ethos of motoring. Um, I'm trying to think if there's. I would have actually said Evora was my second choice, like both yeah. of them. Um, I just, you know, I love Lotuses aren't as dramatic yeah. to me as terms of styling, right? So I love something that that sounds as good as it looks to me. And so the Evora is a beautiful car, but the Aston Martin is really timeless. Yeah, right. Totally. So. You know, but I love the way the Lotus drives even more. I mean, I've been in one Evora over yeah. time, and it's it's very light on its feet. Well, and I've know? had I've had front engine cars and rear engine cars, front all mm-hmm. and rear wheel drive. I've never had a mid engine car, so I'd like to have. Oh, that. can I interest you in a Honda Beat? No, I'm kidding. Uh, you could, you could. I I do love the Honda Beat. I also like my own life, um, <laughs> but. But yeah, that that car to me, and I don't really lust after modern Porsches. I don't know. It's just something about the culture of like, well, I have the allocation, and you don't have the allocation, and I have the PTS, you know, seat belts. And, don't like, forget the deviated stitching. It's, it's great that Porsche has gotten the resources to continue to make these cars mm-hmm. that people love, and it's great that they've done so well. I will just leave it at that I don't think the I don't think I am I don't think I really am the modern Porsche buyer and I don't think I fit into the modern Porsche culture. And I also don't think let's just hypothetically say nine nine twos were where nine nine sixes were a few years ago. Like, yeah. let's just say that that was the case. Mm-hmm. I don't think you would buy a nine nine two if assuming it was where I, I think my interest stops at like nine eight seven nine eleven and like nine, nine eight one nine 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 seven, yeah yeah nine 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 seven nine eleven and like nine eight one came in I yeah. and I love I mean I really love I drove the modern Spider I love that car I'd love to drive a GT four RS mm-hmm. I mean the GT products are like sort of exempted from this i mean i i I have tremendous interest in those cars and i love the tycon i'm okay without the rs i could i still like for something that emotional i still want to stick me too that experience right so a standard gt of which my friend jeff has a new gt4 but i know uh, my friend david loves his gt4 rs that's fine i still think it's too extreme for the street personally um and i I also yeah i haven't driven the car so I, i will 
You know, I'm not gonna. Judgment, I, I'm but... not driving that car on the track most of the time. So yeah. for me, the the track attack personality to me is not as crucial. Yeah. Right. So, anyway, the other car I will say that I lust after is mm-hmm. a 308 GT4 Dino. What? Really? Yeah. Um. So that's another, you know, another mid-engine car. I was looking at one on Bring a Trailer last year that ended up being a non-sale for like 35. It was local here on the East Coast. Just, to me, that car is still a bargain because it's a better driving experience than like a 246 Dino with, I think, cool styling that was controversial for a while, but it's still like you can get the nicest one for like 50 to 70 or an okay one for like 40, 35, 40. Totally agree with you. Uh, and the only, to date, the only Bertone-designed Ferrari. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is a really unique uh, unique selling point yeah. about it. Yeah. So, you know, really the Lotus Evora of its day. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know, could Mid-engine, say. Somewhat, something of a backseat. Yeah. So, but anyway. So, on that note, as the dogs bother us for dinner... Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we look I think we had one more. Oh, we did have one more? Did, did I'm we, sorry. Uh, that's okay. Cut off. Cut me off. Anyway. Oh, yes. Jackson Kogan says, What are some of the basics someone new to cars should learn that wants to get into it? That's a big question. That is a big question. An interesting one, though. Uh, the basics of cars? Oh, um, I mean... Where do you start? <laughs> yeah, so I think... It's like asking me, it's like asking me to do basic math. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just I kind would, of... I would probably start at, like, something like a car show and just be... See what you gravitate towards. I, like, I, yeah, that and, like, you know, what do you like... learn more about those. What have you seen and what do you like to look at? Describe it to a search engine and start reading. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I would think, you know, like, learn about the different types of cars. Like, you could learn about i mean i think it helps to have a starting point because it's such mm-hmm. a broad topic but if you know that you like sports cars for example or if you know you like four by fours then like maybe research into like land, the history of like land rover defenders and toyota land cruisers and you know like land rover and toyotas and jeep that would be a good place to start i think that everyone who has an interest in cars if they're able should you know at least learn to operate a manual transmission because yeah. i think that, that while you can <laughs> yeah well i think it gives you a an understanding mechanically of what's going on and really a feel for the car um and yeah drive as much drive as much stuff i would say just drive as much stuff as you can like and mm-hmm. as much weird stuff as you can yeah the weirder the better honestly like i've driven a 61 falcon 62 Falcon, I've whatever the hell it was. A, a CJ2A Jeep from uh, 48. Yeah, but you know what? That guy has a death wish. Mason? Yeah. yeah. we got to get him on here. He just bought a Gamma Goat. Yeah. He's anyway. a six-wheeler now. There you go. If you want to learn about cars, start with a six-wheel drive Gamma Goat. Yeah, talk to my friend Mason. Psychopath. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's where I'd basically start. Uh, and that's all, I, that's all I got. That's all I got. So Let's go feed these dogs. We're going to feed the dogs. But anyway, have, have a great uh, rest of your week, everybody, and weekend. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to Restricted Performance. Bye. Bye.